Good day, fellow Ozites, Ozians, and Ozitarians. Greetings, Glinda girls. It's good to see me, isn't it? Hey, Bessies. Hello, fellow Ozians. 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 Friends. 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 <laughs> and Sentimental Men Podcast. Hi, Sentimental Men Podcast. Hi, everyone at Sent Men Pod. Hey, Sentimental Besties. Hello, fellow Sentimentals. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Quincy. Hi, Quincy and Kevin. Hi, Kevin and Quincy. And hi to all the fellow Aussians who are listening to Sent Men Pod. My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. Because we're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. I just had the most delightful evening and I have saved it for the pod. I have not told you a single thing about the event I just attended. Yeah, you only told me that you were even going like a little bit before. Well, truth be told, I texted you last week and was like, hey, I'm going to go to this. Oh, you did. You did. Hoping for you to be like, oh, I'll come. Yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah. to join. And then you didn't bite my bait, which is fine. To be fair, that text message was in a string of like 10 text messages of us like answering everything. It was like a chaotic back and forth. Yeah. So yeah, so then I was like, I'm going to go alone. And I actually was excited to go alone because I haven't had like a Quincy date night for a while. But then my friend from home randomly was in town and I, he asked me what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this. And he was like, oh my God, I want to come. And then we went and it ended up being really, really cute. Listeners, I'm talking about <laughs> a conversation with Wicked's Stephen Schwartz at the 92nd Street Y featuring performances from Sierra Renee and Michael McCory Rose. And Kevin. Yes, Quincy. Michael's saying corner of the sky because it was like Stephen talked through his whole, you know, career. So they started. Was he at the piano like this? Okay. So can we jump there? Yeah. Because Kevin, I got Stephen Schwartz's party trick, making good at the piano, talking about the evolution into a performance of The Wizard and I. And here's what I want to say. It started and I was like, all right, we're getting, we're getting the shtick. We all know it. Yeah. We've all seen the YouTube videos. We're getting the like. I was doing this, then I cast the Dina Menzel. And it was a train. Yeah. Yep. And then I moved it into a train, and then we have the wizard and I. Here's the wizard and I. Right. So I did have an internal eye roll when it started to happen, but I gotta say, Kevin. Yeah. As soon as that man started playing the piano, I started welling up, and I immediately was like, wait, this is really, really (laughs) special that I'm seeing it in person. (laughs) And general theme of the evening, Kevin. Yeah. I know we are sitting on our Wicked podcast right now, but I love Wicked and like haven't really had a moment to be like, wow, I love this show in such a personal way. I know. Until tonight, I'm going to be honest. Like it really hit me tonight. You know, I will say I had a similar experience today watching um, that video that's going around of like the preschool class lip syncing Defying Gravity for like their talent show. Oh wait, I haven't seen that. Oh, somebody sent it to us, but I think I I opened the DM. But it's this video of like this little preschool class that is like truly like lip syncing uh, Defying Gravity for like a talent show. But it is like full out set little miniature replications of all the costumes. Like this is a preschool with money. Oh, cute. But like what's fun is every once in a while the kids will like know the lyrics and start singing along. But it's so cute. And I was watching it today and I was like, I love this show so much. Like (laughs) I have like been so like in it that like to watch like someone else experience joy because of it i was kind of like yeah. oh yeah 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 this is nice even that like i was kicking myself you all know that i record audio of every show i go to and for whatever <laughs> reason i was like this isn't the vibe for this 
small little talk thing I'm going to at the 92nd Street Y. So I didn't start an audio and I was like, it'll be fine. I'm just going to like experience Sierra Renee's, I assume she was singing from Wicked. So I was like, I'm just going to experience that and not record it. And then as soon as like she started to sing The Wizard and I, I was like so upset that I wasn't recording. Yeah. But also it forced me to be present. And now it exists like only in your heart. And let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, tell me how it was. It really felt like, you know that random Stephen Schwartz cabaret that Lindsay Mendez sang The Wizard and I at before she was Alphaba, and that, in the lore of it all, is kind of what kickstarted her process into actually being Alphaba? That's what started the campaign, right? Yeah. It felt like I was watching that tonight <gasps> because it was like perfection. I actually, I have no notes. I have nothing to say about it. It was so incredible. Wow. Genuinely so incredible. I'm so jealous. I want Sierra Renee to take over from Lindsay Pierce. I'll say it on this podcast. I would love that. Some other tidbits that were discussed that I think would be of interest to our listeners. Uh Uh-huh. So we all know the story about how Stephen Schwartz's daughter is kind of responsible for for good because mm-hmm. the lyrics were she wrote the lyrics out to a friend of hers and that became like the first verse. We know that story. Mm-hmm. Stephen Schwartz's son is also responsible for the Wizard and I because he apparently is a very talented dramaturg. What? And saw workshops. <laughs> yes. And went to a couple <laughs> workshops of Wicked. And Steven was like, you know, no one is talking to me about for good, like about making good. No one is. He was like, you know, no one is talking to me about making good after these readings. They're coming up and talking about all the parts they like, the parts that they think could use work. And no one's bringing up making good. And Uh that to me isn't a good thing. And his son was like, yeah, it doesn't work actually at all. I think you need to scrap the whole train scene number. The audience is too far ahead of you. It feels very old school to have your leading character like getting on the train and singing her I Want song. Uh Uh-huh. He was like, why don't you just put her in a situation where she wants to sing about what she wants already? Wow. So thank you, Schwartz family. Yeah, thank you. Honestly. Are they getting checks for this? Contribution. (laughs) Every time I like hear the story about how like he lifted the lyrics for for good out of his daughter's yearbook, I'm like, okay, but did her friend get a check? Like Well, in this he was like, she wrote a letter, but like obviously it wasn't lyrics, so I took the what she said and made it rhyme. And that's what a good composer does. He's like a good composer tells the truth and makes it rhyme. Okay. <laughs> Another like fun story. They Frank Delello was moderating it. Uh huh. He asked like when they knew Wicked would be a hit. Uh huh. And he was like, we knew it was going to be a hit pretty early on in San Francisco, where we had just had a big creative meeting because it was the show was too long. We didn't feel like it was working. We had a meeting. Joe Mantello made Winnie Holtzman cry, so then I had to defend Winnie because Joe couldn't do that to her, and it was very tense. And then we walked outside of the theater and saw a huge crowd in front of the box office. And we all had thought that, like, some terrible accident had happened. Like, someone got hit by a brick that fell off the theater or something. <laughs> and they were all waiting for tickets. <laughs> it makes me so sad that, like, they saw a crowd of people outside their show. And the first instinct was, is somebody hurt? <laughs> Well, that's why he was like, that's when we got the inkling that this was our project to fuck up. Mm. He was like, we were essentially getting more credit from audiences than we were deserving of, especially in the out-of-town trial, because the show was just so flawed, but audiences were loving it. So I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. But he said, that's when we knew we had a hit. He was like, it took us a while to realize we had a phenomenon. And I was like, that's a pull quote. Yeah, truly. So I'm riding a high from that, and I'm ready to dive into this listener episode. Yeah, I am too, because I think kind of like along the lines of what we were just saying is like, it's nice to see like other people enjoying Wicked. When I was like listening to all of these responses, like 
and maybe that's like what put me in the mood to watch that video of the little kids today because i was just like oh yeah like i don't know like we talked to like every one of our guests about like the show's place in their life and it's like really cool to hear all of those responses from the listeners too yeah I don't know. You guys didn't give like canned answers to our questions. I feel like you really all took time to think of thoughtful responses and record a voice memo for us. So I'm very appreciative. Yeah. And a lot of people went kind of deep, like kind of deep, but like people shared some very like lovely things with us. Oh, and also what I was surprised about is like how many international voicemails we got. We are like the goddamn UN, Quincy. South Wales, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm from Vienna, Austria. Manila, Philippines. I'm from Germany. Coming to you from the Emerald Isle of Ireland. (laughs) Like when we launched the Green Circle, there was a lot of international people that were saying they weren't able to subscribe, which, sorry guys, we're working on it. We're told that you are, um, so we're figuring it out. But that was kind of the first inkling where I was like, oh, do we have international listeners? And then these voicemails, I was like, oh, wow, we do. Yeah. Call us Jenny Denoya. I know, I was literally (laughs) just thinking... Uh, so funny um but yeah so we got some some uh listeners from literally all over the world which was very cool um so before we jump into that though we do have some choices options and bootlegs for you but this is so fun these are some choices options and bootlegs from your fellow listeners so we will catch you on the other side see you in the main section Okay, Alice Fern doing this wild riff in Wizard and I gets me through a bad day. So I listen to this all the time. Here we go. Sing. Are you kidding me? The Wizard. That would be a really good warm up. The Wizard. The Wizard. Okay, so for my choices, options, and bootlegs, I want to talk about the bootleg with Donna Vivino and Ali Mozzie. It's during I'm Not That Girl when Alphaba's hiding under the bridge and Glinda and Fiero walk out. I believe that the Fiero and Glinda are supposed to share a kiss during this moment. So the choice I noticed Ali Mozzie make was that Fiero goes in to kiss her, but then she stops him and pushes him away. I love this choice so much because this has to be the moment her Glinda realizes Fiero's moodified. For my own choices, options, and bootlegs, oh my, I had to go with the queen, Julia Marnie, singing Spark of Creation from Children of Eden. The video has been a part of my Broadway favorites for the better part of the past decade, and it always gets me how the look of the choir changes behind her when she opens up and sings that first big belty note at the beginning of the song, and it just is proof that Julia Murney is an absolute icon and legend. So Kevin, our shtick mm-hmm. is asking, how did Wicked come into your life? Yeah, and you actually came up with that idea for that to be our first question way back in the day. And I have loved that ever since because it really primes everybody to talk about the show in like a personal way and not just like, this was my audition. This was when I signed the contract. This was my like technical experience with the show. Um, so I always love hearing everybody's response to the to this question. Yeah. Okay, so we've been hearing from so many of our guests how Wicked came into their lives. And now we're going to hear from some listeners how this wonderful musical came into their lives. Roll the tape. 
Wicked came into my life when I was six years old when I saw it with my theater camp. Wicked first came into my life when I was seven or eight, and my gym teacher would play Defying Gravity while we were jump roping, which was super fun. And then I finally saw the show when I was 13. So that's when it really became part of my life. When I was in eighth grade and I heard Rachel Berry and Kurt Hummel battle it out to the ballad version of Defying Gravity on Glee. To be honest, I first heard Defying Gravity in Glee. Wicked first entered my life when I was watching Glee about four years ago. And when I heard Defying Gravity for the first time, I just fell in love with it, as everyone does, I guess. I became obsessed and went down a crazy internet rabbit hole of finding every single woman who ever played Elphaba and Glinda and find every single video I possibly could of every different pairing. And I really haven't stopped since then. I was at school and one of my friends was playing the cast recording at break time. And I bought the cast album from our local sh um, record shop and I went home and played it over and over again. And my parents must be absolutely sick of it. By then, I didn't actually see it in person until 2009. And that first time, oh, I was overwhelmed with emotion. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely everything I wanted it to be. I actually went to the show. I saw the original Chicago cast, uh, Miss Anna Gosteyer, and I hated it. <laughs> but I wasn't the biggest fan of Wicked, actually. Like, it didn't appeal to me in the way that it does now. I didn't like it that much, but... I kept listening to it and I let it grow on me and now it's like my favorite musical of all time. I was 15 years old and I was actually very anti-Wicked at first because I, you know, The Wizard of Oz is such a, you know, story close to a lot of people's hearts and I was very upset that they had tampered with it in any way. I was a, a purist, but a good friend of mine recommended the cast recording um, and I trusted her judgment. So I listened to that, watched a really bad bootleg of Adina and Kristen on YouTube, cried for two hours later, and the rest is history. In 2003, I was a freshman in college and had come home for the weekend and my mom had gotten in a flyer for it in the mail and knowing that I was a huge Wizard of Oz fan she showed it to me and was like hey should we go see this new show I think it's only in town for a few weeks little did we know that it wasn't only in town for a few weeks it was in previews and her like discount code on the flyer was for a few weeks in 2013 um, I saw it on tour at the Boston Opera House with a group of my church friends and me and those same friends had been on a trip like a month or two before and we spent the whole drive listening to the Wicked soundtrack and every spare moment we had listening to that Wicked soundtrack we wanted it memorized by the time we saw that show and we did. A really great friend of mine in high school had created this montage video of us all and had put for good over the top and I was instantly obsessed. Her and I then booked tickets to go see the opening cast and then we saw Adina and Helen Dallimore in December of 2006 at the Apollo Victoria Theatre in London. Wicked first came into my life when I was 12 years old and I was looking up to sing a song for an audition and I heard someone singing Defying Gravity and I was like oh my gosh, what is that song? I need to learn it. And you know, I saw snippets when I was little of Wicked. I never really looked into it until I heard that song. And then I started watching bootlegs and I became obsessed. Within the first year or so that it opened on Broadway, my mom was a choir teacher and came to New York City as a chaperone on a school trip where they saw Wicked. She doesn't remember for sure, but we did some research and we think she saw Shoshana Bean. The first national tour was opening, so... 
we had like ads everywhere around the city for like Wicked. And, you know, it had like the iconic two witches, you know. Um, and I remember being so curious about it and being like, oh, what's this show about? Well, how do I how do I get to see it? And And the Toronto run sold out so quickly, like you could not get a ticket for it. So when it was announced that they were that the first national tour was returning to Toronto, I like begged my parents to like book me tickets for my birthday. Um, throughout that whole year, while I waited patiently for Wicked to return to Toronto, um, I just like went down the YouTube rabbit hole. I was a freshman in high school. My youth group, which I am no longer a part of, <laughs> took us on a trip to New York City and we voted on seeing Wicked and I had no idea what I was in for. In 2003, I was finishing my master's program and reading the novel and that's about you know when Wicked premiered and I just remember hearing about it and thinking there's no way they made this book into a musical. It's so complicated, it's so deep, how are they going to do it? And then seeing the Tony Awards and hearing the soundtrack and thinking, yeah, I need to see this. I need to see this now. I want to say summer of 2005, I was on a good deep YouTube dive of my um, obsession at the time, which was the movie version of The Phantom of the Opera. And in the recommended videos section on YouTube, there came up this video of Wicked at the Tony Awards. So I clicked into it and... My life was changed for good. <laughs> uh, like the Idina Menzel Tony Awards Defying Gravity video that lives in my mind forever. I think it's the spark to me. In 2006, I was taking a drama class at the local library. I don't know how this topic was brought up, but I was talking about how much I loved The Wizard of Oz. After someone explained the basic premise of Wicked to me, I raced home, got on the computer, and listened to samples of every song on their website on repeat. So Wicked first came into my life uh, because of my love of The Wizard of Oz. As a little kid, I had the <laughs> the little dolls of all the four main characters. I remember making my mom cut out uh, a little yellow brick road for me out of yellow construction paper. We drew all the, the bricks on it. The minute I heard those first chords blasting from my car stereo, when I got the album on Christmas Day in 2003. I was getting in the car, getting a ride to Once Upon a Mattress rehearsal as a freshman in high school <laughs> with some seniors and they were listening to it and they're like, oh my gosh, have you heard of Wicked? You have to listen to it. Now at this point, it had been out for like five years and how I didn't know about it, no idea. But I just remember that was the first time I'd ever listened to it. So then I saw it later and of course the audacity of these women to do it eight shows a week. Come on, I'm hooked. Wicked first came into my life when I was around 12 or 13. My best friend from my childhood, she knew how much I loved The Wizard of Oz and how much I loved The Wicked Witch of the West. Um, I don't know why, I just did. And she told me about Wicked and she showed me the music and I immediately fell in love with it and it became my whole life. I went into this store called Media Play. I don't think they even have Media Plays anymore. And I just randomly picked up the cast recording and I took it home and I put it in my white Sony CD player and I listened to it and like read through the, the program notes and just fell in love with this show. And you know, it's kind of funny. We actually were not going to see Wicked. We were going to go see The Lion King, but mom really wanted to see Wicked. So we gave her what she wanted and we went and saw it. I'm so glad we did because I've been obsessed with it ever since. It was the trailer from London with Idina Menzel and Helen Delamore. And that was the advertisement back then. 
from Stage Entertainment for the 2007 opening of Wicked in Stuttgart with Willemann Verkaik and Lucy Scherer. Back in 2008, I was a freshman in high school in a little town up in Michigan, um, and I was in band. And for our spring concert, one of the pieces that we performed was Selections from Wicked the Musical. So I remember rehearsing this music, and it was so fun to play, and it, and it was exciting. And so, you know, I did my research, I listened to the soundtrack, I watched a few YouTube videos, I read Gregory Maguire's book. When the show first opened, I had a drama teacher who came to me and said that she was taking the senior class to see the show and I needed to buy the album. And I was scared because I was a massive fan of both The Wizard of Oz and The Wicked Witch and prequels, especially back then, weren't the greatest things in the world. So I thought that they would wreck it. And I made it as far as no one mourns the wicked when I realized that it was a very special show with a lot to say. I was a closeted theater kid who was just trying to soak up everything Broadway. And this show came out and fully changed my life. I had never heard anything like it. And the story resonated with me. And these women inspired me. And I was fully obsessed. Um, my older sister had been obsessed with the Rent movie and Idina. And then when she was in this new musical, Wicked, she got the CD. And so, you know, she listened to it. So, of course, I was listening to it. I was obsessed with the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. So I thought, what a perfect musical this is. Seeing the show, and I was like, oh, my God, this is theater. This is what I want to do with my life. Quincy, you know what kind of blew my mind when I was listening to these answers is... It never dawns on me that, like, everyone hasn't known Wicked for 17 years. That's interesting. I, like, forget that there are middle schoolers currently discovering the show for the first time. Well, was I with you when someone was like, yeah, and soon Wicked's going to be taught as, like, a olden musical. And I was like, wait, what? It's a contemporary show. It's a contemporary show, but, like, so, like, in 2010... Rent was approximately as old as Wicked is now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it is at the point where it is like a teachable part of theater history. Oh, and I was also surprised at the people who said they didn't like Wicked to begin with, particularly at the person who was like, yeah, I really hated it at first, but then I just like forced myself to listen to the music and then I fell in love with it. I was like, okay, wait. (laughs) So you just like gaslight yourself into liking Wicked for no reason? Like, what compelled you to keep listening to it if you didn't enjoy it? Truly gaslit, gatelit, gatekept girl boss. girl boss. <laughs> yeah, no, and there was, like, a few people who were like, yeah, it wasn't my jam at first. Um, which is just nice to be reminded as somebody who went from zero to a hundred with this show yeah. <laughs> immediately. It's like, you get, I got my first taste and then I was all in. <laughs> I was hooked, yeah. But it is humbling to remember that not everybody feels the way we feel about this show. Someone I felt like particularly bad for <laughs> is the person who said that they were introduced to Wicked through Rachel Berry and Kurt Hummel's cover of Defying Gravity on Glee. There were so many who said that. <laughs> really? Yeah. There was I like there was more than I think like made it into that montage. I remember having the wherewithal even when Glee was in its heyday to be like, this is not it. Like this cover was not arranged in a way that it should have been. Okay, but also like you learned about Anything Goes from Glee. Lindsay Pierce belting so- Anything Goes, not Kurt Hummel in his 
falsetto hitting the high sure. note in Defying Gravity. That's a fact. Oh, I, you mean the two of them specifically? Yes, I'm not talking about Glee. I thought you meant Glee as an introduction. I was no, like, Quincy. I got introduced to Rocky Horror through Glee. <laughs> like it is, but that specific cover of Defying Gravity was an atrocity, and I can't believe that like Glee. <laughs> I don't think this is controversial to say on record, even. No, I know. it's. <laughs> I thought it was universally accepted that it was just, like, a horrible, horrible rendition of Defying Gravity. It's not good. Especially when you have Leah Michelle and, like, make her belt. Don't put Kurt in it. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and I mean, I think it goes without saying that a lot of people's introduction to Wicked is the Tony video, or the recording of the Tony performance, yeah. which is so funny, because that feels so, like far away for me that oh, it's really? it's so funny that like that's a touch point for people oh that's interesting see because i discovered like the bootleg world of wicked before i discovered the tony performance do you remember like watching that on the tonys I definitely was not watching that tonys oh see i like do remember yeah, no the tony performance isn't the one that sticks for me i think they performed on like letterman or something and did a similar style defying gravity am i making this up oh Yes. Which is crazy to think I about it now. I haven't seen this in a long time, but yes. Imagine Wicked hauling Defying Gravity to like a late night talk show and getting a Dina Menzel up in that cherry picker. That's crazy. <gasps> That's actually so insane that they did that. That is nuts. <laughs> like Parker and have her do the Wizard Night. But yeah, I think that is more of like the touch point for me than the Tony performance. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that video in a long time. That's when you could say I turned into an Elfie enthusiast. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> Speaking of Elfie enthusiasts, we got quite a bit of submissions from those who also identified. That was smooth as hell, Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not clock what I was doing two sentences ago? It was really smooth. It was really great. We got quite a few submissions from Elfie enthusiasts. More so than Glinda Gals, would you say? <laughs> Way more. <laughs> I started with like... 40 minutes of Alphaba, or like maybe 30 minutes of Alphaba, and had to narrow it down to like eight. And I started with maybe 12 minutes of Glinda. You heard it here first, kids. That proves some sort of point that I've been trying to make. Well, no, let's let them argue my point for me. Yeah, let's let them argue. Play the music. Alphaba taught me. That everyone deserves something. Alphabet has taught me that um, good deeds may not always be rewarded, but we should do them anyway. Those, like, what would Jesus do bracelets? I always ask myself, like, what would Alphabet do? I, I find myself asking myself that quite a bit. Alphabet has taught me to stand up for myself and stand up for others. Alphabet taught me to always stand up for what I believe in, even if it's not the most popular opinion, no pun intended. Well, Alphaba taught me that it's okay to be different and fight for what I believe in. Alphaba taught me to stay true to yourself and to what you believe in. Everything. It has everything that you could ever want in one character. And I just think she's such a badass and so headstrong. And I could watch just about every bootleg recover in the world. But every so often, I will cry tears of joy listening to Defying Gravity over the sheer power and inspiration of the song. I find strength in her and her fight to get to where she is. To me, her wickedness isn't evil, but believing in herself in order to fight for those that may not be able to. Alphaba as a character is so tortured and 
it, it's just like this beautiful tragedy that she goes through. It's hands down the music for me. I mean, The Wizard and I is just the most perfect, like, I want song ever. She just has the better songs in the show, I think. I can fulfill my destiny regardless of the, you know, the pathway that's put in front of me by others. Definitely, I love what Alpha Bus stands for as a character. And um, yeah, I love that she defies all the limits that are thrown at her. I think I am more of an Alfie enthusiast. Alfie, from the get-go, is unapologetically herself. Um, she's just the one that I can relate to more as an introverted bookworm myself. And I feel like you kind of can't help but root for her from the start. I would say I am probably an Alphaba enthusiast. More so because, like many people, I know how it feels to grow up an outsider and... Uh, be afraid of showing the world your your power and and such. Um, I also think that the character of Alphaba in particular has been uh, kind of a hero for marginalized communities, communities of color, the LGBTQ plus community. I think the show really resonates so much with LGBTQ plus people simply because of the journey that Alphaba goes through. Her story is very familiar to me being bullied growing up for being different and not realizing what that difference was until recently when I actually came out um, to friends and family. There are so many ways in which I feel different um, as, as a queer person, as an adoptee. Um, it, it just resonates so much with me and has meant so much to me at so many different points in my life. And, and it's always felt like a kind of beacon of hope. Um, Alphaba was really the character I identified with when I came out in eighth grade, dear God, what a horrifying experience. But no matter how my day went at school, I'd come home and I would grab my broom and my fierce cape I bought at Spirit Halloween and sing to find gravity and everything would be fine. I think what Alphaba has taught me mainly is that you can achieve the unachievable. Now, obviously I'm not gonna go jump off my roof and try to fly, but I know, I feel like that my love for this musical is what's going to be my drive to be part of this production. And Alphaba taught me that I can do that. If I'm willing to put the work into it, anything's possible. It really taught me to not be ashamed of any insecurities that you have. She's different that people have tortured her for this. But there's also power in that. Taking something that she is embarrassed about and turning it around on everyone. And it's now the source of her power. And I think that was really moving and something that encouraged me. The character of Alphaba really did change me for good for so many reasons, but mainly because she really made me believe that different was cool. I really looked at Alphaba and thought, that girl is so cool. <laughs> and it helped me embrace that quirkiness and like, about myself and love who I was. Cause I was like, even if I'm weird, like you can still be like the coolest person in the room, even if you're not understood. And that where we end up at the end of the story might not be where we thought we would end up, but where we needed to be. Elfie's story resonates with me in so many ways. And I've always felt a little bit green in so many ways in my life. So it's, uh, it, it's always brought me comfort and brought me strength and brought me hope through the best and the worst. You know what I loved from all of that? Tell me. <laughs> the person who said, whenever I need to make a decision in life, I think... What would Alphaba yeah. do? You know, like those bracelets, what would Jesus do? <laughs> <laughs> the, 
That really got me. <laughs> and also, I was like, should yeah. that be merch? Should we make a what would Alphabet do bracelet? <gasps> okay, that's cute. Or a little button. But then are the Glinda Gals going to want... Uh... We'll think of something for us. I'll think of something for if us. If you're ever in a situation asking yourself what would Glinda do, I think we have some bigger issues. Cool. Moving on. Uh, Listeners, you can't see, but so that really grinded Kevin's gears. One connection that a lot of people made that was like, obvious to me because it's like the connection that i made but it was still really nice to hear all of the stories was like everyone who connected to alphaba because they were part of a marginalized community of some sort because it's like yeah that is so like inherent like you watch the show she is an othered person like that's maybe a very easy connection to make with the show but hearing everybody's like individual personal experiences was really nice yeah one well, I also felt kind of validated because remember when we were on we did our friend Ryan's podcast Why Are You Like This mm-hmm. and he asked why Wicked and I talked about how everyone always says that feeling of being the other they really related to and that was kind of their entry point in and definitely there is a level of that for me but like really what my entry point in was was like the belting and the singing and just like the good songs and talent. Mm-hmm. And, like, the responses we got from the Elfie enthusiasts were pretty, like, split between, like, those who resonated with the character and those who, I think someone even said that she just has the better songs and it was the belting for them. (laughs) And that's always been a source of insecurity for me as a Wicked fan where I'm, like... I'm not like I am for the same reason you said Willamine in, in your interview all those years ago. It just makes me feel very dumb and shallow, which I'm going to circle back to later in this episode, Kevin. Okay. So it was nice to know that I wasn't alone and being like, yes, 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 all of that, and all of that is very important. But also, like, she sings really high. Do you know this, coach? Yeah. <laughs> now I will say, Quincy. Since you were so rude about Glinda earlier, it's not that I necessarily would ask myself what would Glinda do in many situations, but if I did ask myself that, the answer would be she would mature a lot and have a really interesting journey really over the course that of back. I feel like it's been <laughs> well. I'm making a transition. I'm not as good at this as you. Are. I thought you were just being petty. I was like, Kevin, that was no, crazy. No, I was like trying to like take you into my opinion and then be like so there are also listeners who agree with me i literally was like wait this is insane (laughs) that he's bringing this up right now all right so anyway here's the glinda girls i wanted to sympathize with alphaba i wanted to be the main character that's what she is and that's everyone wants to be an elfie enthusiast right and no matter how hard I tried, I just was actually not the like radical activist that Alphaba is. I'm still too much of a goody two-shoes. If someone said, you want to come change the world with me, get on my broomstick, I'd be like, no. <laughs> Glinda taught me to forgive my past self and be open to becoming a better person. And that truly changed me for good. Glinda actually taught me not to judge a book by its cover. She's a lot stronger and more complex than what I used to give her credit for. Just the older I get, the more I appreciate Act 2 Glinda. Because when I was like eight, I wanted to be Act 1 Glinda. And now I'm like, oh, like her story is so compelling. And I feel like people don't appreciate it enough. I'm totally a Glinda girl. The costumes, everything. She's my number one dream role forever. And then Glinda taught me the fashion, the glamour and everything. Yes, Avon sister. And Glinda taught me that when 
people change. It isn't always a bad thing. We all evolve and grow as people, and it's okay to be a different person than who you were five years ago. I am definitely a Glinda girl. I'm 100% that soprano bitch, and I am also quite short, so I think I connected more with Elphaba, and I understood more of her, but I just so wanted to be that popular effortlessly beautiful person that everybody loved. I think she has one of the best character developments in all of Broadway. Glinda has taught me that not everything is about me and that sometimes my happiness comes at a cost. Glinda actually has a really relatable story that that people might not not realize that they 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 can so easily identify with and it actually wasn't until I was listening to this podcast that, you know, they, they really kind of opened my eyes to, like, the, the pain that Glinda goes through throughout the story, too, and how much that she loses. Just because it's so relatable to the average day life, you know, you're presented with these decisions between your professional life and your personal life, and it's that navigation of, did I make this right decision? Am I doing this right? And I really think that's something that everybody can relate to. Honestly, this is going to probably... Uh, push me to listen to that Louise Dearman um, No One Mourns the Wicked compilation on YouTube. Kevin, you can start this little Glenda section. Oh, I can start the little Glenda section. <laughs> Such a dick. Uh, <laughs> I love the response that starts with like, of course, I like want to identify with Alphaba. Like, of course, I want to see myself as the main character because like everybody wants that. That got me. It got me. And I think that it is like important and valid to note that like, not everybody has the gene to be the radical, to, does not have like the radical side of I them agree. that makes them an alphabet. Kevin, this is what I was going to circle back to earlier. Listening to these Glinda Gal submissions made me realize something about myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In that, in every way, in every way that I, that Quincy Brown Same. is as a person and personality wise. Uh-huh. And I think, I tend to think you would agree with this. Yeah. I, as a person, relate to Glinda's sensibilities more in the sense where like, if I was in the same situations, I would be a Glinda. Like I fully am aware mm-hmm. that I would be a Glinda. However, I have the wherewithal to make that distinction in my head and be like, oh, but Elphaba is the more mm-hmm. interesting, better character with better songs. And that's where I fall on the whole debate of it all. Mm-hmm. And what made me realize that was the listener who said, if someone came up to me and was like, hey, you want to change the world? Get on my broomstick. <laughs> I would say no. I would not. <laughs> yeah. Cut to me arguing you about yeah. that. <laughs> okay, so br- bring that understanding with you to the Gershwin <laughs> the next time you see the fucking show. No, but it's... <laughs> but this does circle back to what they were saying at the end was it's like, I think that Glinda is way more easily relatable than people realize she 100%. is. And this, it, it all circles back. Everybody wants to like sit high on their horse and be like, I would tell the wizard to fuck off and I would fly yes. into the sunset. No, bitch. You would say, I'm so sorry, your highness. Let me go see what's wrong yeah, with no, her. Like, on this podcast, I am high on my horse. I am riding the alphabet yes. wagon. And I get it. I love a shtick, but I do think it is important to acknowledge that maybe while people connect with Alphaba on an aspirational level, perhaps they should reflect 
on the idea that maybe they are like Glinda and they should do the work that Glinda does during the show to become more like Alphaba at the end. You want to drop your microphone? <laughs> Kevin. What? <laughs> Just when I'm forgetting. <laughs> Just when I'm forgetting. But you always come back with a moment of deep analysis. That, well, that's that's what it is. It's I relate to Alphaba on an aspirational level, and maybe in some ways, listeners, we're getting we're getting deep here at Sentimental Men. Maybe in some levels, Glinda represents Ooh. a lot of things that I don't like about myself. And, so, mm. and that is where we're going to draw the line on Sentimental Men. Yeah, and I have therapy on Saturday. <laughs> Moving on. Um, also, special shout out to the fellow sentimental who was like, she taught me glamour. She taught me. <laughs> I cackled. I actually laughed out loud. The sparkles, the glamour. I was like, yes, bitch, she did. I found it very touching and heartwarming to hear the reasons why you guys stick around with Wicked and why Wicked has been such like a consistent favorite for all of us throughout our entire lives mm-hmm. because like realistically i don't know if i have another show that i love and like am a fan of in the way i am with wicked like i have a lot of shows that i think are really really incredible and i revere in such a high artistic way but not that i'm like so enveloped in as a fan if that makes sense yeah i i agree and i mean it was the question that we asked that like sparked all of these answers was just like what has kept you a fan of the show People answered in a much more emotional way than I think we were expecting. It's great. So I think we should just roll these these responses. It taught me that I am allowed to be passionate about things. I'm. It's okay to be unapologetically yourself. You don't need to feel bad for doing what you want to do. Uh, I'm like kind of emotional when I talk about this, but I mean they've taught me how to stand up for what you believe in how to not take life too, too seriously, how to stand up for others, how to be a voice for the voiceless and to stand in integrity. And during a time when integrity has been challenged, I think this show's message is very integral to remember. All the actresses who have played Alphaba and Glinda too have honestly changed my life in a way that I can't truly explain. I think more than really being changed specifically by either one of the characters, the biggest change is just Wicked led to really a love of musical theater for me. I think the show has universal themes of empathy. It has universal themes of friendship. Um, I think that the characters have taught us uh, a lot about standing up for your values. And that's something that can obviously be um, uh, resonate with anybody of any age. And um... and I think. If anything, Glinda and Alphaba have taught me that no matter who's put in our life for however long or for whatever period of time. And so I think about that a lot to not not take for granted the people who are in my life, no matter how long or how short um, of a time period it may be. Wicked is about a lot of things, but there is an incredible message about friendship and how these relationships grow over time. Sometimes you grow apart from the people you love the most, and that's okay. Good and bad, their handprints are on your heart. Things will change, but you'll never forget them, or how much they mean to you. What has Alphaba or Glinda taught you? Well, mostly in my life, I think that friends and being a good friend to someone else is key. 
as we learned early on in Wicked, it's not always your immediate family that helps you getting through stuff, but it's your friends. To appreciate the friendships that I have, especially those that are deep and that I've held for years. I've had friends since I started college back in the late 90s and up till now that I can still truly call some of my best friends. And this show kind of amplified, you know, to cherish those moments and those friends. You do not need to be identical or have similar interests in order to make beautiful and fulfilling friendships. Glinda and Elfie are so different from each other, and yet they complement each other beautifully. And the evolution of their friendship and knowing that they have each other's backs, just, ugh, love them. I think that one of the lessons that the show teaches us is really that that we are both of these characters. There are shades of us that are vain and shallow and self-absorbed, but really beneath that is a real person. And then there's the other side where we, we have integrity and, and sometimes you pay a price for that. I have been a fan for so many years now and it's kept me a fan because it just gives me so much joy. Like whether I'm watching a bootleg or listening to the cast album or whatever I'm doing, like it's my number one show forever and it was my gateway to Broadway. So I'm forever grateful for that. I think it really was the first time I felt understood. The other fans and the large fan base, this podcast, for example, and knowing that there are so many enthusiastic other other Wicked fans out there. What's kept me a fan all these years is honestly the high belting, but on top of that, it's a bit of a comfort blanket for me. It's a story full of warmth, humor, friendship, and, you know, also the high belting. Something that's kept me a fan over the years is probably how relatable the show is. I feel like this story can resonate with anybody and any time and any point in life. I've seen it a lot, and every time I see it, it hits me in a different uh, in a different way. It just gets me, and like because I've watched it over the years, I come at it and I change my perspective on a few scenes, and because they play it differently, like you appreciate different lines and different scenes more every time. The show is just so different each time it's performed, even though it's the same show. Although the show is what eighteen years old now, somehow it still is is incredible. Like It's still so fresh um, and the topics are still so relevant even today. It's a show that I just keep introducing to people in my life that don't know musicals well and that is the thing that gets them hooked. The music is just amazing. It's a story that not everyone knows, but everyone knows The Wizard of Oz and so everyone is really, really intrigued by it. I, I introduced it to my grandma like, three years ago and she asked for the Wicked CD for Christmas and I got it for her and she listens to it all the time now. She is obsessed. I think for me it's a combination of the music. I just love the score, the beautiful story that is timeless and of course when you're in the rabbit hole of all the different interpretations, all the defying gravities, all the alphabets, all the riffs, the different languages. The costumes, the story, and all the little Wizard of Oz references definitely kept me a fan over the years. The initial like love for the story and just like the magic of the show is it's so beautiful and so captivating. 
The timeless and fantastical story, combined with a superb Stephen Schwartz score, keeps me engaged in the material even after all these years. If you've seen the show, you know Wicked is seriously a feast for the senses. I love learning about the technical aspect of any Broadway musical, whether it be costume, makeup, or set design, or even to the props. Anything I learn about Wicked, it just revamps my love for the show, and at this point, I've doubt there's anything I really don't know about the show because <laughs> um, I, I love I watch interviews and backstage tours and all of that to learn whatever I can about the musical. Well the music is just so amazing. The spectacle of the show is just you know it's unheard of and the storyline has really you know touched me in, you know, in a big way, even more recently here in my life. The music, like uh, Defying Gravity, The Wizard and I, or I'm Not That Girl and For Good, is what kept me a fan of the play and, uh, of course, the whole story. This show is such a, a cornerstone of our industry. I love what it means to so many different people. You know, I think one of my favorite things is Wizard of Oz is so beloved and so cherished in American culture. And I love taking things that are simple and looking at them from a different angle or from all different sides. And just to see like that whole other side of this story that I loved as a kid was amazing to me. Um, and just the, the, the way it was turned into this incredible musical was just uh, it, it really grabbed my attention. I was just obsessed with it as soon as I saw it. The whole theme of what makes people tick, I had been interested in that from the time I was very young. I, I was interested in the villains much more than the heroes because I felt they had a story to, to tell. There was a reason that they became the way they did. And this show was just such an, so encapsulated that. As far as like the content of the show itself, I would say the relationship between Alphaba and Glinda, just their friendship and also like the journey that both of them go to throughout the show. Um, I just really enjoy seeing that play out in their individual character growth. I also love the friendship of Glinda and Alphaba, how two different people became best friends. I became a really big fan of Jessica Voss and kind of followed her career. And so when she went to Broadway, we went up and saw her a few times, um, including her last show, which was incredibly cool to see that. I've also gotten to know Jenna Claire Mason through her musical theater school. My daughter's participated in that, and she's become a friend in quarantine. Hello, the number of not-so-talented women who have come through that show. It's hearing all of the different vocals and seeing all of the different actresses portray the characters, um, you know, that have come to mean so much to me. 100% all of the amazing leading ladies that they keep casting for Elfie and Glinda there are just so many amazing women that have played both Alfie and Glinda, and everyone plays them so different, so we have a lot of options to listen to. All the different casts that have been out there, all the women that you've been interviewing, all, oh, everybody. I'm always excited to see each new Alphaba and Glinda bring their own spin to the roles and continuing to spread the message of Wicked. Once bootlegs were available, and you could not just hear Adina, but Shoshana, and Eden, and of course, our Queen Stephanie. 
And I always love listening to the different performers that do it and hear what they do with it. I'm, you know, a riffnista. I love listening to all that stuff and the various choices that they make with it. Um, that's what's kept it exciting for me over the years. You know, whether it's a vocal riff or different acting choices, or maybe she's a little bit more quirky this go around. I think the fact that each individual person brings something so different than the last it's almost like a completely different show and that's really exciting i don't think a lot of broadway shows have that capability the radical different interpretations throughout the casts throughout even the languages really knowing that they brought in such amazing talent as julia murney and stephanie j block and giving these performers a chance to just shine in the brightest and best of ways. Uh, what's kept me a fan over the years is it takes forever to learn about all the cast and all the changes and all the tech behind it. So it's just been an endless kind of pit of knowledge that I've tried to um, engross myself in. The show in general is just so good that like every couple months, it's like no matter what you think, you have to go back and just listen to it a couple times. Listening to these responses, yeah. I had a thought where I was like, because everyone's talking about why they love Wicked so much and what part of Wicked they love and blah, 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 blah. And it's, they're touching on literally like every aspect, like the acting, the singing, the technical, the costume, the production. Mm -hmm. It really made me realize that Wicked really came together, like every aspect of Wicked married in such a perfect way that like does mm -hmm. not happen in musicals very frequently at all. Actually, even in a lot of the like, mm -hmm. long running musicals, that my friends, is what separates a hit from a phenomenon. Oh, bitch, you want a pull quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such an economic show. Like, every piece of it is there because it needs to be, and there's nothing extra. Well. The things that feel like extra are there for a reason. That's true, that's true. You gotta let Alpha <laughs> breathe for a second before she starts to find gravity. It was just like really like it really is lightning in a bottle. And I'm trying to think of another show that that all happened. I don't think we have to do it right here right now unless you have an example. It's Les Mis. It's like Wicked and Les Mis are the only shows that like got it all right and will just duplicate itself from now until the end of time. And like a chorus line. A chorus line is the only oh, other show I sure. can think of like that. That is like exactly right as it originally was. Sure. You know what I loved about all these responses was how many people have been kept invested in this show by the actresses like you and I. <laughs> it's true. I think, again, something that I think sets Wicked apart from a fan point of view is that like it's so interactive to be a Wicked stan because it's like, well, have you seen this video? And like, who's your favorite this? And like, well, which option do you like the best? And it's like we have this wealth of resources to make the conversation about Wicked never-ending. Yeah. Like, we just talked about this show for a year, and we have not run out of shit True. to say. You guys haven't gotten bored of it yet, right? <laughs> yeah. It's also interesting to think of from, like, an actress's career perspective, where it's like, so the media company mm -hmm. I was working at over the pandemic had this joke that if the media company retweeted you, you would get the company bump, and that, like, you would get all these followers, and then, like, people started to, like, view you in a different way because our company retweeted you. And it kind of feels like when you get cast as Alphabet, you get the wicked bump in like every aspect, totally. you know? And it really is like a bookmark in your career, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think until something harder or more monumental or more anything 
arrives like i wicked will always be the most impressive thing that someone's done yeah. you know what i mean like not the most impressive it's just like oh they ran the marathon they did that like iron man right well and it's like the thing where it's like you meet somebody you know they ask like what you've been in you say you were in wicked and people it clicks for people that you're at a certain level of your industry and when you can say i was in wicked and i was motherfucking alphaba or yes and i was glinda the fucking good that carries weight you know should we talk about our favorite bonus stories? Yeah, I mean, but this is like the impossible task because we had like 45 bonus stories to listen to and they were all really good. What was one that just like stuck with you? One that stuck with me, um, partially because the story is funny and partially because the listener had me like cackling listening to it, was the woman who uh, her whose family was really religious and she could not believe that they were encouraging her wickedness. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now, I was raised in a very conservative family, so I couldn't even believe that they had agreed to buy me something that had a witch on it. So we went to the first national tour, yes, Stephanie J. Block was my first. Thank you very much. It was iconic and a religious experience to this day. Um, my mom was like, we're going to leave if there's even the beginning of a spell. If I hear even the beginning of a spell or any type of witchcraft, we're leaving. And like truly by the time she heard Ella Kanaman, she had not, she was too invested to leave. She was fully hooked as well. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I, I thought it was interesting. The guy who took a pop I think it was like a pop musical theater studies class, he said. And they brought in mm -hmm. No One Mourns the Wicked. In the year 2003, I was um, in a class called Pop Musical Theater Studies. And the teacher brought in uh, No One Mourns the Wicked. Nobody knew what the show was. And he said it was from this new show that's coming out. And the interesting thing was when I first read the lyrics and sang the song, I always interpreted as being sympathetic towards Alphaba, like, oh, no one mourns the wicked, no one cries, they won't be gone, and isn't that terrible? I always thought that it was a song that was calling for uh, empathy for Alphaba, and obviously it isn't. One, is Wicked a pop musical theater score? Yeah, I would say so. Am I just like so? Am I of a contemporary Not age? Not pop in the sense that like Spring Awakening is a pop, you know what I like, mean? Like that's what I would consider. Or even like Dear Evan Hansen is like a pop score. Yeah, but I, you have to think in, in 2003, like it was definitely a pop. Our idea of a pop score has gotten poppier in the last two decades. But the interesting part of that story is that he thought that it was like a song of empathy yeah. and not of which... I remember being a little 12-year-old gay listening to the CD, and I remember always being very confused because I knew the context of the show, of the song in the show was like anti-alphaba, but the line and the like musicality of no one lays a lily on their grave always sounded so sad to yeah. me for some reason. And I, I remember always feeling like it stuck out and it was like a little like... yeah something that was like that like made it off um what was another favorite oh my god i loved the story of a listener who just really wanted to see carrie ellis and kept missing her first time i saw it then was in the summer of 2007 i saw it in london um i really wanted to see carrie ellis and we got there for the matinee on a saturday and she was off 
my parents were so sweet that they saw that I was upset that they agreed to bring me again that evening. So we saw it twice in one day for the first time out, which was very special. Um, we, but we had Shona White both times, who was amazing. Um, and then a couple of years later, they wanted to take a trip to New York. And lo and behold, Carrie Ellis was doing it on Broadway at that time. So we booked our tickets for Tuesday, the 11th of November. And Carrie Ellis's final performance on Broadway was Sunday, the 9th of November, 2008. <laughs> and then the parents bought him a ticket. What great parents. To go that <laughs> evening. My mom would literally be like, screw oh you. God. You saw the show. We're going home. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I took off work for this. I also love the guy who, like, accidentally saw Adina's last performance on Broadway. I had seen the original cast of the show minus Adina Menzel, who was filming a movie. I loved it, and I loved Eden Espinoza, who, was, uh, who had gone on for her. But in 2005, I was given an opportunity uh, to go to, to New York, and this was going to be the last week that Adina was in the show. So I bought tickets to the January 7th performance, two nights before she was scheduled to leave, and saw it, fifth row center, was blown away, uh, got to meet her after, cried like a baby, as did most of the audience, and flew back to Detroit only to discover the next day that she had fallen through a trapdoor and was injured, meaning I had seen her last full Broadway performance, which is one of, to this day, the greatest honors of my life. Oh my God. Wait, you know what that reminded me <laughs> You know, on Drag Race, when they're making over the veterans and the one that Jinx Monsoon has is like, I killed Judy Garland. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, that is what this reminded me of, is it's just this like, I just happened to go see the show and then she fell. Like... <laughs> But that's iconic now. Like, that's it's, history. I wish uh, I was there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some highlights, but all the stories were super, super fun and exciting to listen to. It was nice. Um, before we wrap up, should we let some more of our listeners take us through some stuck on SJBs? Let's do it. Some SJB stories? I think so fun. Yeah. Take it away, listeners. When my daughter Louise was about 15 or 16 months old, I went down a SJB rabbit hole, unsurprisingly, of watching like every video I could find of her. And at one point I was watching it and Louise comes wandering up and watches it and she just stares at the screen like wide eyed and obsessed with her. It ended and she just looked at me and started crying like big heavy sobs. And she just kept going more and more. And so she wouldn't stop crying until I played SJB over and over again. So my current stuck on SJB is Stephanie J. Block and Julia Murney. So we've got two witches for the price of one singing all that jazz during their Wicked Divas concert in Columbus, Ohio. But they look like they're having so much fun. And the way Stephanie says jazz at one point is like hysterical, but also I'm obsessed. And then their harmony at the end is everything. But it's just such a good little performance that shows like how amazing they both are, but like how much fun you can have when you're singing with your friends. My Stuck on SJB is from Susan Blackwell's video series, Side by Side by Susan Blackwell, where the cast of Falsettos gathers at Stephanie's home for Thanksgiving dinner, and they are laughing and talking and gabbing, and SJB is exuding hostess with the mostest energy. 
They're playing party games, answering questions, telling stories. It is hysterical and a joy to watch. One of my favorite shows is The Pajama Game because your girl loves a good labor strike. And SJB and Sebastian sang a duet from it a couple months back called There Once Was a Man. It's this funny, clever, and witty duet between two people that is competitive in the same vein as anything you can do, I can do better, but better. Because it's a love song, it is beautiful, it's them one-upping each other of how much more the other person loves them. And it is just so funny, and they clearly love singing together, and they're having a good time, and it's a little bit country, and I love it. Oh, guys, this was so fun. I hope you enjoyed this journey through Wicked with us, with each other. Yeah, and it was a pleasure to hear from all of you. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. We have a really, really fun interview coming next week. Yeah, next week, Quincy, finale of Oztoberfest. With a very fitting guest, I think. Yeah, I'm pumped. So I'm very excited. Stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be a very good listen. Stay tuned and have a good week. Have a great week, guys. Go outside. Touch some grass. Kevin, thank you so much. Quincy, thank you so much. I've had the time of my life. And I owe it all to you. (laughs) You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced and edited by your hosts, Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. You can support the pod by leaving us a rating or a review or by subscribing. Subscribers get early access to our regular episodes, monthly bonus episodes, and get added to the Scent Men Green Circle. Which is literally our close friends on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Julia DiMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. I'm sorry, did we blaze through that? (laughs) 